Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to number nine of our Man on the Post World Cup specials. It's um, me, Adam, here. I'm joined again by Colin. Hi there. But this time we've got a special a special guest. We're not left on our own. We have got Mark with us from Man on the Post Extra Time. Hello and thanks for calling me special, I think. Yeah, definitely in the nice way. Not okay. In, not, yeah. in, not in the Tom kind of special way. <laughs> um, right, so... the. Well, what can we say? The World Cup is over. Um, Germany are the new World Cup world champions, I suppose, aren't they? They are the champions of the world, beating Argentina 1-0 after extra time. Um, what's everyone's initial thoughts on the game? Start, starting straight away there. Um, I, I mean, I thought it was a good game. Um, it didn't have tons of chances like, you know, a lot of the earlier games in the competition had. But... Um, I thought it was. A... But we'd got used to that. We'd been we, we'd been been got used to that uh, through the knockout stages. Yeah, the the the, the knockout stages. You, it was kind of an up and down, wasn't it? There was one good game, one kind of stale game, and then back to a decent game again. And I thought the final was intriguing without being end to end. But I thought it was a good tactical battle, lots of skill. Um, you know, and you you really couldn't call it the whole way through. You know, Germany were on top of five or ten minutes, and then Argentina would come back, and they were playing on the break. And I, I think you know, you know, up until half time, you know, you, it was very very even. And then I think one of the key moments in the final, I thought, was that Argentina took Lavezzi off, and I thought he was their best player in the first half. Um, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you there. Colin, they did. They just they just seemed to to go back into their shell. And I mean, I've thought it certainly all the way through this tournament, but I think it's been evident since he came back. But Messi doesn't look fit. And if he's not fit, he doesn't look as interested. You know, he didn't look interested to me that much in the final or as interested as he could be. Um, but I thought it was a great game and, you know, one of the one of the better finals that I can remember anyway. I think the, the thing with, with Messi, I think, is that he hasn't lost... I don't... He doesn't seem to have lost... Um, like the dynamism that he had from his injury, but he just seems to not be able to to produce that as consistently over a ninety minutes. It's almost as if he's he's sort of rationing himself. And if those times when he's willing to go full out aren't effective, then he's not as effective. But we set a very high bar for him to jump over. Uh, he's never really had any kind of serious injury in the whole time he's. He's played for Barcelona, um, and now he what was it? Was he out for three months? Something like that. Well, not not since not since since two thousand and two thousand and five, two thousand six. What was the the <clears throat> he when he first came through? We had some quite um, some some quite consistent issues with muscle injuries, and obviously he missed the Champions League final in mm. Paris against Arsenal, but. 
since then, Barcelona have had him on special training and they've managed the situation very well. But I think that was that was issues to do with obviously he was was still breaking through to an extent at that time. He was obviously very young and the fact that he was taking growth hormone was um, very well documented. So I think that might have all been sort of issues with a sort of a, a changing, growing body. But you are right. Since then, he, he, and he plays never gets, a lot of football. He never gets a rest. You know, a lot of our top players over here, we rest them as much as possible for, you know, for easier league games and, and league cup games and that kind of thing. Messi never gets a rest. And that's probably to, to do with commercial reasons more than anything else that he has to appear but I think, you know, he won the player of the tournament, which I thought was very, very, uh, um, a very controversial decision. Mm. Um, what, you um, mean that, that, that Adidas golden ball? Uh, yeah, that's the one. And and the thing is, he I, I, he did lots of things in the tournament. If you actually pick out, especially earlier in the tournament, he did lots of good things, scored goals and what have you. Um, but, you know, he didn't, I don't think he lit up the tournament in any way. I don't. I I agree with you. I don't think that he was he wouldn't if I was in charge of it. I wouldn't have given the, the golden ball to Leo Messi. But if you were to play devil's advocate, I think you could say he scored four goals in the group stages, set another one up. I think Argentina only scored six goals in the group stages. Mm. So you are saying that uh, uh, this is a team that got to the final, and you take him out, and perhaps they don't even get out of the group. They were a, they were an ordinary team, Argentina. I never realised how ordinary that the last couple of World Cups, two thousand six, probably for sure, they should have won the World Cup with the squad that they had. But this squad, I never really realised that if you took Messi, a, a, a top form Aguero, which he wasn't, of course, because he was injured. Same same goes for Di Maria. You take those three out of that side, and it's very very ordinary that, like you say. You could probably put them in the same bracket as England in terms of the squad quality they've got. And no- I think I think you've I think you've missed out with just one player. Who's that? Javier Mascherano. Mascherano is a. a ex- I, I think he had a fantastic game, and I think it just proved two things. It proved it's laughable that he plays in midfield for even defence for Barcelona. Yeah. And it proved that it was even more laughable that he used to not be able to get a game at West Ham. Well, I don't think there's a huge amount for me to add. I mean, I, I don't think, uh, on, on top of what you guys have already said, I mean, I don't think anybody would disagree that Germany weren't worthy winners. But one thing I always look at in, in big games is is whether it was always one-way traffic. So whether the, the, the guys who ended up losing actually had a chance to win it. And, it, and if you look, look at that game, then Argentina did have chances to win it. Um, it wasn't just all Germany. And especially in that first half, I felt that Argentina had real opportunities to to score. Um, I think the first half was the best half. Okay, Colin, because you've brought me on. I was going to maybe try and tackle what I would say were the, my points of contention at the maybe at the end of this. But you've brought us straight on to the first one. Everyone talks about how how good Manuel Neuer is, how he could play outfield. He could be. He's like Germany's sweeper. So what I'm going to do is all of a sudden I'm just going to take his gloves off him. And now I'm going to ask you whether that was a red card against Gonzalo Higuain. If he's not wearing gloves, is that a red card? It, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, I, I I'm not sure. I think goalkeepers have to be protected, and what, perhaps what given the, the benefit of the doubt. 
What about the striker who needs protection from the goalkeeper? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a contentious point. I completely agree. But Mark, I... what do you think? Yeah, if that was in the middle of the park and it was um, some big centre half clattering into, uh, I don't know, Ronaldo, for example, it's a red card all day and a hefty ban. But that that's you know, goalies get it. They get different treatment to everybody else, and the you know the knee up to protect yourself when you're coming out. That's that's a technique they learn from a very very early age. So, unless he'd gone in, Harold Schumacher, very obviously Harold Schumacher style, where the ball was in a different county almost, then I don't think there was ever any chance that he was going to get sent off for that. But yeah, that that happens anywhere else, and it's not a goalkeeper. It's it's the football equivalent of assault, isn't it? Or reckless endangerment, at least. So we take we take away the red card from the from the argument. Is is it still not a penalty? I think one thing you've got to bear in mind, and this is not an excuse. This is not an excuse. If you're the referee at a World Cup final, is that a decision you want to make? Do you want to send a keeper off? Do you want to give a penalty for something like that? You've got to be one hundred percent certain. Because if you do that, you're going to get some stick. <laughs> I'm sure that had a bearing. Do you not think? I'd like to think not, but I, I see what you're saying. Um, and what I would say is, uh, apart from, for me, apart from maybe that decision aside, I thought that the the referee had a very good game. I thought that it was quite a physical game, but he he mm. wasn't over the top. He wasn't. He didn't. He wasn't blowing his whistle all the time. He wasn't flourishing yellow cards. Uh, I felt that he 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 got the tone of the game pretty early on, and and it it made for uh, it it improved the spectacle for me. Do you do you think that just reflects the standard of the referee in, or the direction of the referee throughout the whole tournament, though? I think the lack of cards it re- re- reflects the direction, but I think that. I don't think that it was one of those situations where at any point he lost the lost control of the game. For for me when you look back at um the two Brazil games in the knockouts the the, the Chile game refereed by Howard Webb and then the Colombia game I think that in both of those instances the referee sort of lost control of it a little bit especially in the Chile game by by Webb I thought that Neymar was was playing that game with a bullseye on it, on his back, and the Chileans <laughs> were just just after him consistently. And Howard Webb's lack of showing any cards allowed them to carry on doing it. Just just one thing from me for for something that stood out for me was um, Kramer of Germany. He came on. I think it was his first game of the tournament. Is that right for for Katira? Indeed, well, this in was another point, another point I was going to make, that Germany have won this game and they they won it through quite a lot of adversity, I'd say. Well, he got absolutely smashed, the poor boy, didn't he? Um, he did. He, he was in bits coming off. You could tell he was not well at all. Um, and I really felt for him because, you know, World Cup final, chance to make his mark and that that that, that knock, that blow could have took a fighter out. But actually, it worked out well for Germany in the end because up until that point, it was 
that that even game, wasn't it? It was just before half time, wasn't it, when he came off, or about half an hour, thirty five minutes in. And yeah, was, something uh, like that. Germany were pressing, but Argentina were looking good on the counter. And then sooner than they would have liked to, they brought Schürrle on. But actually, that that substitution seemed to tip it more Germany's way. And Lovetsy going off at half time certainly tipped it that other way. So actually, it worked out well for Germany in the end, I think. I, well, I, I, I do have to wonder whether Lovetsy was injured. Because, must, must like, you, like you said, Mark, I thought he was he was playing very well. Everything, everything good... That, that Argentina were doing was coming through him. If you look at that that ball that he put in for Di Maria, uh, not Di Maria, for um, Higuain for the goal that he scored that was offside. Oh, yes, he was offside, but that was still a fantastic cross. Yeah. If, if he wasn't injured, that was a colossal balls up by um, Sabella, wasn't it? If, if he wasn't injured and he, and he just thought, I'm going to take him off. Because I think he'd taken I... him off a couple of other times in the tournament when he looked woeful. And also, he done it for he did it for Aguero as well, didn't he? And if yeah. ever there was a player that I wouldn't be gambling, who if he wasn't completely fit, who I wouldn't be gambling on the fitness of to come off the bench, Aguero would be that man for me because we've seen him enough times in the Premier League on it, on comebacks from injury have relapses. But how many other match winners of that you know the the forward types of any quality did Argentina have in reserve? Because Di Maria wasn't. Oh no, no, I I agree with him coming. What I'm saying is, if Lavezzi wasn't injured, as it yeah. were, it's an even bigger gamble to be bringing oh, Aguero yeah, on, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he could break down on you. Yeah, which makes you think it to have been an injury. And uh, yeah, well, speaking again of substitutions, it was the first World Cup final in which was it the first World Cup final in which a substitute scored the winning goal or just a goal at all because. Definitely the winning goal. It was, and it was some goal, wasn't it? Yeah, cracking goal, definitely. I think it was a goal of any kind, wasn't it? Substitute. Quite possibly. That seems a bit strange to, to me, though. But I'll have to have a think about that. All that history of World Cup finals. I mean, I suppose there's not. Colin, you can tell us. When we were... They used to not allow substitutions, didn't they? <laughs> I'm not sure, I'm not sure. But yeah, what 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 a great goal! I mean, he, his his value has certainly risen, isn't it? Now, I'm sure he'll be getting quite yeah. a few uh, sponsorship contracts coming his way. <laughs> but like so many, uh, German, like so many of that German team, you know, he's only 22. The rest of them, they're all that, around that age, aren't they? 22, 24. You know, I. There was a piece on the that we did, Colin, on the Man on the Post website, wasn't there? About before the tournament, we thought who was going to win, and you know, not to blow smoke up my own backside, but I picked Germany because even though they're all young, the likes of Goethe and Schürrle and uh, Muller and everybody, they all just seem to be coming together as a group to their peak all at the same time. But could they be even better in four years' time when they're still only going to be in their late twenties? Germany was a good pick. Who did you pick, Colin? Um, I, I think I uh, picked uh, a little team called England. Ah, oh, brilliant. So you picked England, I picked Spain. <laughs> and we've got Mark here who picks Germany. Who invited Mark? <laughs> well, come on, it wasn't hard to pick the favourites. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think, if, I think if I'm not wrong uh, to 
to back up your point, Mark, I think the only player over 30 in that team is Philip Lahm, who's 30. Who's Who's been around since 2006 or slightly before, hasn't he? And still look, doesn't look like a 30-year-old player. Still plays like he's 22, 23 years old. You know, and, and, and also, you, also this was a team missing. Um, well, it had Kadira who had played, who was, and also missing Marco Royce, uh, the um, Benner, Godogan from um, Bruce Dortmund. So there's, there's players to come in. Never mind players to still develop. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, you think in the Euros in two years' time and then four years' time, how many caps these young lads are going to have between them. You know, Germany realised 10 to 12 years ago that their their methods and the players they had weren't good enough and they decided they needed to bring through, like Spain did before, the, before them and France did going even further back, they brought through a quality generation all at once and they kind of sacrificed two or three tournaments on the belt to say, you know what? We've got to develop. Uh, we've got to develop a golden generation, if you want to put it that way, you know. And in England, we still we still faff about trying to blend youth and experience and this kind of, you know. Would any other other nation? Would Germany have taken Steven Gerrard? For, I'm not slagging Steven Gerrard off, but would Germany have taken Steven Gerrard off and and Frank Lampard to the, to this World Cup for experience sake? They only took Miroslav closer because they've got very few options. But, you know, maybe, you know, we have to do something similar and be brave like Germany because it's paid off. Because we do have a few good players, but just not enough good young players. I think the fair question is, would would Germany take Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard and play Paul Scholes left wing? <laughs> well, that's a good point. Colin, have you got any thoughts to wrap us up on the final? The one point I would make, Adam, is to back up Mark's argument. And that is that of that Germany team, I believe six of them came from a successful under-21s Germany team. Um, and I think also from that under-21 setup, a further two players are now playing for other countries. Um, compare that to England, the only two that have made it through from that same era are James Milner and Joe Hart. And you can argue that James Milner isn't a first-teamer. So that puts into a little bit of perspective. So just quickly, we'll move on to the third place playoff. Um, Brazil versus Holland. We'll start to, did either of you two guys watch this game? Yeah, yeah, yep. it was, it, it was a bit, it, in part, it was a bit spicy, wasn't it? Um, and both teams didn't, I, I thought both teams went for it. They weren't, they, they came out with virtually their first choice 11s and um, they both seemed to want to win it, which you know, that you've seen third place playoffs before that were a complete waste of time and people who haven't got to, you know, they basically change and put the second 11 in. But it wasn't it wasn't a great game, was it? And and Brazil deserved exactly what they got again for, you know, how poor a team they actually are. Because I don't think the Dutch are great. You, and you certainly, you take Robin out of that team and I think it's a very similar kind of team to Argentina. You know, functional, the, the, they're hard to break down, but not a great side. But Brazil were just... Absolutely woeful again. Did did Fred retire before the game? He retired as soon as he went back to Fluminense from Leon, didn't he? I I thought I re- I thought I saw reports that he retired after the semi final 
So he made himself unavailable for the third place playoff. I think you could say the same about a few of the Brazilian players after the semi-final. I think they retired before it. Or, or during, in the case of that was. So, right, we'll just we'll wrap this up with a bit of a free-form chat about the tournament as a whole. Um, what does everyone think enjoyed it? Everyone keeps telling me it's the best one since Italia 90. Well, did you? It depends how old you are. If you're old enough, to I can't remember. I can't remember Italia ninety. Well, Itali- when you're fourteen, like I was at the time of Italia ninety, and and you know everything's great, and you know you're fourteen and you're copping off with girls, and you know you knock about with your mates, and England gets to the semi final, and all the music's fantastic, um, and you're at school, and everything, the world is amazing when you're fourteen. Actually, Italia ninety, the, some of the football in it was crap. And a lot of bad quality, boring games, but it's a nostalgia thing, and it's obviously- that's exactly. I'm glad you. I'm really glad you said that because I read a lot of things. There was a lot of um, pieces. Obviously, everyone was trying to get their piece of the pie before the World Cup, and there was articles here, there, and everywhere about anything that they could remotely relate to the World Cup. And I read one. It was about sort of like the history of the tournament, how it not about the games, but more about how it had evolved when you sort of like. Group stages, goal difference, two points, three points for a win, this and that. And there was a lot of stuff where they suggested that they they made a lot of changes in USA 94 to try and fix some of the dour defensive football that, that was being played in Italia 90. Well, in Italia 90, remember, there, was, there were less teams in the tournament and you still had this scenario where four of the six group um Teams who came third in the group still got through. So you would, I think, some teams were able to get through the group stage on like one or two points, you know, a couple of draws. So yeah, that's no no wonder that a lot of teams were playing dour negative football. Again, it's just because we're wrapped up in nostalgia. But I mean, I can remember bits of 1982, even though I was only about six or seven at the time. Mexico '86 had some cracking games in, from what I remember. Um, the 90s World Cups, I can't really remember so much. And the 2000s World Cups, I don't really remember a, a classic one out of all of them. I'd say it's probably the best World Cup since probably 86, I would guess, in terms of entertainment uh, value. Colin, you can, you can verify that for us. You were claiming only yesterday that you thought you were alive when... Before decimalisation, it wasn't true. <laughs> you were wrong, but you tried. You tried to claim it. Well, well, Mark, you conclude your point. You're about to say the best one since, and I, I, I'm preempting what you're going to say is, is Germany. No, I'm going to say I would probably say that it's the best one since Mexico '86. I would imagine France France '98 was quite good, from what I remember. The 2000s ones. I don't remember anything memorable of about of 2002, 2006, or certainly 2010. Anything memorable about them over the whole tournament? Yeah, those they probably all had some good, some good games and some, you know, interesting groups and so on. But I don't remember a World Cup being so um, entertaining as this one. Might be a, we might fall into a trap of everyone picking the same one. Does it? anyone's goal of the tournament Colin you're saying I'm not going to agree with you so what have you got mix it up I think a lot of people think this this goal is overrated and this player has not had a good World Cup but I'm going to stick by this man I'm going to stick by Robin Van Persie 
leaping like a salmon. Uh, oh, Colin, you've knocked it out of the park. That is exactly the goal I was going to pick. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Cause I've had a... I, I changed my mind when I, I did my voting, my hashtag goal five for match of the day. And um, I picked James Rodriguez's goal at the time. But since then, I've changed my mind. Mark, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I would probably say Tim Cahill's volley for Australia against whoever it was at the time. Chile no, was that was against no against Holland. Holland, yeah, when it came cross crossed in and he just smashed it first time on his wrong foot as well. I don't, I don't think you can call it his wrong foot when he does that with it. Well, I know he's got <laughs> most of his goals his head anyway, but I mean the, Rod- <laughs> the Rodriguez goal was great and everything, um, but he had a lot of time. He took it, he was able to take it down. And, and look, which is great skill and everything, but had had the Rodriguez goal been scored by some unknown Iranian centre-half, because Rodriguez is flavour of the month right now, I don't think it would have got all the, the, the plaudits as much as it is and all the coverage it's got now. Not that it wasn't a great goal, because it was, but I just think for, for technique and hitting it first time on your wrong foot, all that, I'm going to go for Tim Cahill. Okay, and um... just just on that, Adam. Before you, before you continue, can can I just uh, do a little bit of a quick commercial break? Um, Producer Ross has written an article on the Man on the Post website, so you can see it at manonthepost.com, and it's all about how this this World Cup has sort of reinvigorated his enthusiasm in football. Um, and he's basically you can read between the lines and say before that he was a grumpy bastard. Yes, yes, you can say that also, yes. Um, he also predicted, uh, sorry, he also uh, gave us his best goal. Um, and he said that for days he was convinced that it was Rodriguez's wonder strike, but he's gone for uh, Jones's goal against Portugal. So Jones of USA. It's because he's hip. Well. Or, he, or he's having some sort of midlife crisis. One of the two. <laughs> one of the two right so we'll, we'll move on to um, I think originally the, the question we just we thought we were going to phrase this as was best but we've changed it to favourite manager of the tournament Colin start us off again um, I, I'm going to go Louis van Gaal um, I thought his Tim Krul substitution was different um, I think he's a, a feisty manager. I think he's going to have to maybe calm it down a little bit when he joins Manchester United in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I, I just like seeing him on the touchline. Um, I think he was to quite a large extent responsible for the annihilation that Holland did on Spain. Um, and yeah, I, th- I, I think he stands out as one of the top quality managers who could do it at any level from what I've seen of him in the in the World Cup. And for you, Mark? Um, Favourite manager? It's a bit, of a bit of a strange category, really, isn't it? But I would, I'd probably say Van Gaal because he's been, you know, he, he's old and he's getting on and, and he's d- done everything. You'd think that by now he'd kind of be setting his ways about what he what he likes his team to do, but he's actually been pretty inventive during the tournament and switched things around. I mean, anybody who can get Dirk Kout to play right back and left back, essentially, 
and get them to the World Cup semi-final. Mm. Uh, it's done a cracking job. Yeah. The whole the whole cruel goalkeeping thing, the the whatever he did at halftime in the Holland Spain game, um, when they were being outplayed, and then suddenly they came out and you know stuck it up to Spain. He, he he's and and he's basically not reinvented Dutch football, but thrown out the rule the rules of Dutch football out the window during the tournament and and the way they play or they're supposed to play and played however he thought they had to play to get them where they've got to in this tournament. I think that shows somebody who knows exactly what they're doing and he'd probably be brilliant at Manchester United. The other guy I'd probably say who did a great job was Sam Pauli from Chile. Yeah, he was fun to watch, wasn't he? Like. Nervous as anything, pacing up and down the technical area for the full 90 minutes each game. I've picked my manager purely on the entertainment value on the sideline as well. I've gone for Miguel Herrera from the Mexico manager. I also think, again, I, I tipped Mexico at the beginning to thinking they'd do quite well, but he, he took a team that qualified atrociously and got them to within two minutes of a, a quarterfinal place. Yeah, which is what Mexico do every time, is it not? They get to the first group stage and get knock. They, they always get a bad draw or they're a bit unlucky somewhere down the line, aren't they? they? Normally get knocked out by Argentina, don't they? Argentina or Germany. I think Germany have done them a couple of times in World Cups that I can remember. Um, Colin, I've forgotten the questions. What are the other questions do we have? Do we have any nominations for villain of the tournament? Oh, there's lots of options here, isn't there? Mark, any thoughts popping into head for you? Well, I'm not going to go with the easy one and Chompers Suarez. I'm not going to. I'm going to I just neither am I. But what I just want to say is, I I had a bit of a moment when I was listening to um, some other football podcasts this week, and they sort of just just glossed over it. And I thought that it's a sad state, almost a sad state of affairs, where in in the British media we've sort of got to the stage. Well, yeah, well that that's happened before. We're dealt. That's not new. Move on. Stop making a big deal out of it. Yeah, and now I mean now he's now he's gone. I think for for most people, it's going to be a case of, you know, it's like he did. It'll be right. We don't care about him anymore, or we don't care about what he get up to because he's not over here doing it, and it's not something that as a as a British football fan that's going to get on our our wick, or if you're a Liverpool fan, you know, to be um, idolised anymore. So now he's gone to Barcelona. I think whatever he gets up to out there, we're going to be pretty blasé to it. Um, I think the villain for me would just because I just hate to see this kind of thing is what Tim Krull did in the shootout against Costa Rica, getting in the face. Of, He's de- yep, definitely would be a candidate for me. Yeah. That's what I, I hate. I absolutely hate that kind of thing. The, and the referee, the referee should have done something about it. And also the Costa Rica players should have just stood halfway between the penalty area and the centre circle and just said, you know, Get on with it, mate. If that's what you want to be playing up, and do, and then only come forward once the referee had got him on his line. But to then do what he did, I, I just don't like seeing that at all. And I, I kind of liked Tim Krull before that, and now I just can't stand the fella. Especially as I wanted Costa Rica to get through as the last remaining underdog to get to the semi-finals. Colin, of any villains for you? Let me take you back to the opening game of the World Cup: Brazil three, Croatia one. You probably think I'm going to have a go at the referee. No, I think you're going to have a go at Fred for diving. No, not even that. I'm going to have a go at ITV. This was the. That's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> ITV had the opening game of the World Cup. 
millions of people were going to be watching that in the UK. What did they do in the second half of that game? I was watching online. Um, <laughs> I remember now. They scheduled a maintenance window <laughs> during the second half. Now, whether the maintenance window was just an excuse because they couldn't deal with the, the amount of demand on the website, but I was watching it, and I, like thousands, if not millions of others, was pressing F5, reload, reload, to just hope that the, the pictures would come back, and what? they never did. They, why we, were you watching it on, on the internet? Why were so many people watching it on the internet? ITV's free. It, it is free, um, but unfortunately, I don't know, my wife was probably watching EastEnders or something like that. So so I, I was there in the kitchen. You mean your wife was on the main telly? Yes. So so I was in the office, or it's also known as the kitchen, and, and I was trying to watch the game. And, uh, yeah, so a villain for me, ITV, or specifically ITV player. They've, they've got a history for doing stuff like that, haven't they, ITV? I, I remember... <laughs> I think it's happened a few times, but I, I was actually... Is this um, um, Dan Gosling's goal? Uh, well, I was at that game, so I didn't miss it. But it was funny because um, my dad texted me and said, missed the goal, what was it like? Because ITV balls up. But I was I was in the Gladys Street end that day, so I didn't miss a thing. But they've done it since then, I think, at least once. At least once, yeah. Um, I'm going to go... I think there's, there's a couple out there. I... You could maybe go for the the, the Colombian player injuring Neymar. It could be an honourable mm. mention. I don't think he meant it, but I'm going to go for um, for Matuidi of France for the the tackle he put in in the Nigeria game because that was a shocker that broke the young lad's leg, I, I believe. And that's the kind of thing that needs to be be stamped out of football. Tackles like that. They're just stamped being the operative word. Oh, Colin, we need to cut that bit out. I shouldn't have said stamped. <laughs> Just on that as well, um, Ross also made a nomination for this, um, but he just went with the whole team. Uh, he went with England. Uh, he said not one standout performer amongst them, and I can't argue with him. The worst thing about England being in the tournament is that you remember that England were in the tournament. That's what I'm. You know what I mean? Like you actually think back and you think, oh yeah, England were in that. Oh yeah, England were in it. That's kind of how how it's like like Spain or Russia. You kind of forget that they were there, and then when you do remember, it's kind of oh yeah, Christ, that was a waste. I'm not so I'm not as down on England as the as the most people seem to be. Most people seem to think that we're absolutely atrocious. Oh, don't, I don't think we're terrible, but I think we've got a hell of a long way to go. Well, it, it doesn't help when Gary Neville said that our defeat to Italy was the best England performance for 15 years. That doesn't help anybody. doesn't help the fans, and it certainly doesn't help the players. Was he not right? <laughs> well, come yeah. on. No, he wasn't. 15, he years was, 15 years was a bit of a stretch, but... No, maybe... Yeah, okay. Five years, maybe he could have got away with. No, Let, no, we we got beaten. We got beaten a fairly poor game, really, and we never, you know, 
So I can understand why choosing England was a good. England being there was something to forget. I think that it all. It's, it's, you're, when you're at a World Cup, as, as I've said before on some of the other podcasts, you've just got such a small sample size that there's no room for error. And when you look at the stat that I think the only team to win a game after playing in Manaus was Germany, that just showed how important that game was. So we lost that game and everyone who played in Manaus lost their next game. That was just... Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just what happened. It was That's how big a deal that was. Hey, I mean, I, I don't want to make this England podcast. We could make that and make everybody depressed. But, you, you know, I've seen England in previous tournaments play worse and get through. You're right, Colin. You're right. Let's not, let's so, not depress people. So let's have our moment of the tournament. Just It can be a, a, an individual bit of brilliance. It can be absolutely anything. What if... I think my moment is actually a, a, a five minutes rather than a moment. And it's that five minutes where Brazil let in four goals in four minutes or whatever it was in the semi-final against Germany. That is just so crazy in any football game, whether it was down, you know, it could be down on a pub, a pub game on a Sunday. That would be hilarious and incredible to watch. But for Brazil to do it at home in the World Cup semi-final, to implode so spectacularly that's possibly the 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 most incredible world cup scenario there's ever been yeah i well i i think that if ever, ever any that'll be the one game people will remember from the tournament yeah it's it, it, forever it, yeah it'll, forever that's it it'll be no it'll be remembered forever and that just particularly that 5 minute period when <laughs> David Luiz played right wing. Marcelo was trying to, you know, shoot up the left wing, and and Germany just picked them off like you wouldn't believe. You know that, that was just crazy, and that just that spell. That's what wins it for me. Colin, what have you got? Easy for me, nice and simple and straightforward. Sillerson being taken off, Tim Krul being put on purely for penalties. I've not seen that before um, in a World Cup. I'm not sure I'll ever see it again. Yeah, I'm going to go for the the moment on the second day of the World Cup when we just saw Iron Robin catch and then run past Sergio Ramos. That's just that that's one of those that's one of the iconic images of the the World Cup for me when you when you look back at a, a highlights package just in your own head. That's one of the bits that I can picture the so clearly. I mean that that game was that game, and as you say, that moment it is that was that was mad as well. That second half, you never, I, I never thought that would be topped in the in this World Cup, especially. And then, you know, we kind of saw a similar scenario twice in the World Cup. Just and that and that goes back to what we were saying before about it was is it the best World Cup ever, or is it the best World Cup for twenty five years? You know, you never thought you'd see two incredible defeats in games that should have been so um, evenly matched. No, that's a very, yeah, great point. And so would it, if, with our last question, Mark, would either of those games be your, your game of the tournament? Um, no. Um, just for excitement, 
I don't know why I've, I don't know if I'm mental or what, but actually it'd be a toss up between Germany nil, Algeria nil, which went to extra time and then Germany won, or it'd be Belgium against USA in the same round, the, the round of 16, which was nil nil, and then obviously the Belgians won because they were just such excellent, end-to-end, exciting games where, unfortunately, the underdogs fell short just in both, but looked entirely likely to win both of those games. So I think out of the two, probably just, actually, Belgium-USA, just over Germany against Algeria. And Colin, for you? For I me, think you're going to pick, I think you're going to pick the one I've got to go. I would have gone for, but I've got a backup plan, so you go for it. I'm going to go for Ghana 2, Germany 2. Yeah. I was enthralled by that game, and, and I'll tell you why, because it, this, this, was, this was like a boxing match, and Germany were on the ropes. They, they were finished, and to all intents and purposes, if Ghana had used their head, they should have won that game 3-1 quite easily, but it ended up being 2-2. Germany got lucky. Ghana gave them a chance to sort of recuperate and get back in there. But for that moment, and Ghana, who didn't get out of the group stages, they they had Germany, and they, they scared Germany. And for me, that stands out. And I'll tell you one reason why it stands out in particular. is because I hear a lot about this sort of um, how it's going to be Germany winning all the competitions in the next... The, the, the Euros, the, the next World Cup, etc. It's going to be this era of German dominance like Spain had. I don't get it. I don't buy it. I think Germany are beatable. And we saw that with Ghana. It's a toss-up in my head. I really enjoyed um, Mexico versus Netherlands. The, the, two, the game that finished 2-1. I thought that was a really intriguing game. Um, obviously swung at the very end. And Mexico had chances to absolutely batter Holland in that game and just the, the as Van Gaal came out and said he used the, the calling breaks that they had for the first time in the tournament and he was able to show sort of his his managerial nous by getting getting control of that game but you, you could say at the same time he got a bit lucky and on that maybe his reputation in England is, is going to be a lot easier for him coming in now as a a manager who's just guided a, a team to the third place in the World Cup. But um, that's not the game I'm going to go for. I think I'm going to go for um, another game with the USA. USA 2, Portugal 2. I thought that was a brilliant mm. game. That was a cracker. Um, and it, it was because of... You, I think when you look back at it and knowing that USA got through, it's not so bad. But sort of the despair that they had at conceding that equaliser when that would have all but guaranteed them their their passage into the next round in a a group that they never expected to get out of. Right, so um, thank thank you very much for joining me. I hope hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this podcast. Um, Do do you guys have anything to plug, Colin, starting with you? Yeah, always remember to keep a lookout on on manonthepost.com. You can get the podcast uh, directly through the website or more simply... Uh, just subscribe via iTunes and we're always looking for new article writers. So if there's anything in your football spleen that you want to vent, then uh, please drop us an email um, or 
contact us on Twitter at Man on the Post, and we will endeavour to get uh, your article onto our website. And Mark, uh, yes, um, the the Football Pink issue uh, magazine issue five is uh, available to pre-order now. It will be released in the first week of August, um, and the issue five has a has a special theme um, because it's the the hundredth anniversary of the uh, outbreak of the First World War. The issue is dedicated to the link between war and football, not just the First World War and football from that era, but different stories uh, and opinions on the connection between war and football from down the ages, right the way from um, Renaissance Florence all the way up to the modern day. So that'll be uh, that's available to pre-order now on the website, footballpink.net. So, um, right, well, thank you, Colin. Thank you, Mark, for joining me. So this is our last World Cup podcast now. Um, both the Sunday guys and the Extra Time guys will be back with the Premier League season, either with a, a preview or with the, the first week of the season. So you're only about you're only going to be about three weeks away from your next next Man on the Post podcast. So so don't despair and um, and always remember to have your Man on the Post. Yeah.